My name is Dr. Joanna Pagonis, and welcome to Tackle Tuesday. Tackle Tuesday is a podcast series that tackles different issues in the workplace. We explore topics such as leading with emotion, diversity and inclusion, and how to create resilient and agile work cultures. Today's episode is sponsored by Sinogap Solutions. We work closely with emerging leaders to help you develop a clear vision of your authentic self and to discover your passion and how it aligns with your purpose. Once you have a clear understanding of your purpose and vision for your future, you'll be able to discover your path for continuous growth along with the energy and enthusiasm necessary to sustain you during the most challenging moments in your life. We encourage you to visit our website at SinogapSolutions.com and explore the courses we offer that will help you develop the mindset and capabilities to be an inspirational leader. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this month's Tackle Tuesday. For this month, I wanted to focus it on my up-and-coming leadership development program for emerging women leaders, and it's called Woman Up, Ignite the Leader in You. And I thought, who better to have this conversation with than somebody who's been with me for over a decade and has seen me grow personally and professionally and was my biggest supporter when I was doing my PhD. And to be honest, I'm not sure. I think I was able to complete it in record time because I had such amazing support through my family and my friends, but at home, my husband really did so many things, even little things like grocery shopping and making dinner just so I could concentrate on writing my thesis in the evenings after work. And so I thought I'd love to get him to interview me for this month. I've never done that before. Usually I'm either speaking on my own or interviewing somebody else. So I thought we would do it maybe a little bit differently. So I'd like to before we jump into today's topic, introduce him, Jerry Nash. How are you today, sir? <laughs> sir, ooh, <laughs> I'm doing good. Fantastic. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Like I said, I'm excited. I've, I'm a big fan of your podcast and, of course, um, the program you have coming up sounds incredible. And so having an opportunity to talk about that, I think that's fantastic. Okay, good. All right. So... I'm going to hand it to you, and then you can guide me through some questions that you have. For sure. Um, you've already kind of mentioned your Woman Up program, and I guess I want to go to the origins of maybe where this program came from. Um, you, you've had quite a career yourself uh, in a lot of different fields. I, I'd say some are considered male-dominated, uh, the auto supply industry, you know, law enforcement, uh, to name just a couple. Um, so, kind of, where did the inspiration or the origin come of this Woman Up program? Before I started my 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 business, um, as I was designing kind of like my business strategy, and I was thinking about the programs and the services I would offer, and obviously my the focus of my business is on leadership development. One of the things that I, I realized. Uh, as and one of the reasons why I wanted to start Synogap Solutions is because a lot of we, we, there isn't a lot of support out there to learning in learning how to become a leader. Most of the time, when we get promoted, we don't get any access to tra- professional training or development before. And even after we start, we don't always have access to that 
sort of professional development to equip us to be able to lead other people. But when I started to look specifically at what women had access to, there wasn't a lot. Um, there was maybe a couple of programs that I saw for executive women, women entering into executive senior leaderships, but the entry-level leadership positions like frontline supervisors or maybe that first level of management, there wasn't really anything out there. And I felt like the challenges we experience as women are, are unique to, to that of men, especially if you work in a male-dominated industry. And most of the time when we look around, we don't see a lot of people that look like us. Sometimes, you know, it's the experience of the one. You're the only one in the room. And as you're trying to navigate the political environment that you work within to try to move up that, that leadership ladder, it's helpful to have other Somebody else who looks like you may have had similar experiences that can help you kind of navigate um, through that and avoid some of the landmines perhaps, right? Um, and also ensure that, you know, you're confident through that whole process, especially when you feel like you're the only one in the room. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely makes sense. Um, obviously, you're usually on the other side asking the questions. So let's uh, let your listeners learn a little bit more about yourself. Um, speaking about, again, you talked about experiences and, um, I think sometimes challenges or opportunities, um, where you're at here today and especially with this program, uh, what are some of the challenges that you faced, uh, as you were coming up, whether you're an individual contributor or uh, I guess a lower level worker. Um, and I know you've moved up into the senior management, uh, uh, level as well, uh, throughout your career, uh, can you just share some anecdotes or some thoughts specific to maybe some challenges that you face that you think some of your listeners um, may be facing as well and why this program is going to be beneficial? Yeah, absolutely. So as an individual contributor, one of my first experiences, like a, and it was funny because it wasn't right away obvious to me and uh, I almost need to process it for a bit, but it, it, the office that I worked in, um, there was a good, I would say that not an equal 50-50% balance between male and female formal leaders. There were definitely more male formal leaders than female, but there, we, we had less than a handful. And I remember one time walking into the office and all the male senior leadership was, they were not, they were not there. And I was like, it's like the middle of the week and where is everybody? And so I asked my boss, who was a woman, and she said, well, they all went to the golf tournament. I'm like, golf tournament? and you you're not there you don't like to play golf she goes oh no we were never invited myself and then she named the other two female leaders she goes we were never invited and i didn't i just thought that was not very inclusive at the time and a little rude um and i didn't give much thought to it until i started to move up the leadership ladder and i realized one of the you know when we talk about you should have a network having a network is important and you should have a sponsor, somebody who advocates for you when you're not in the room, who will put your name forward for opportunities and things like that. A lot of those opportunities become available or become known through social networking events, like um, a, a golf tournament. And it's in those instances or those social gatherings or settings is where business is spoken about and opportunities for growth and future development and promotion are brought up. And if the women aren't, who are in the office are not at those events, they miss out on those opportunities. 
And I started to realize that when we're excluded from those social gatherings, it makes it even harder for us to even know that there are opportunities that exist so that we can gain access to it. And even if it's an acting opportunity, some people may say, well, it's not, it's, it's just a stopgap. They just, they just grabbed somebody that they know to fill that temporary gap until they can do a competitive process. Yeah, but during those acting moment, those positions where you get to act, you get to try out the position, you get to um, build some confidence, especially if you have the person who put you into the position supporting you. And so when you go to the competitive process, you can talk about the specific experiences you've had within that position, where your counterpart, who's never acted perhaps, who's also competing, can't speak to in the interview process. Plus, you've built trust with the hiring manager as well. So as a male, if you got tapped on the shoulder, which is what I started to see more and more in the male dominated industries I was working in, it was, it was the guys that were getting the tap on the shoulder to fill these temporary positions, not, not my female colleagues. And it was even recently I was, I was talking to somebody and she said, she, by fluke, she found out that her boss decided, well, the organization decided to do a bit of a reorg and that there was going to be a position between her and her boss. So she was going to have a new supervisor. And she didn't even know that they were looking for somebody. She had no clue. And so she felt like, you know, well, do I ask to be put into the promotional process? Am I allowed to? Do they already have somebody in mind? And it turns out they had somebody in mind. And it was somebody who that higher level exec had worked with and brought this individual in who looks very much like him. And we, we start to see a homogenous group of people in those senior leadership positions. And they're, they don't look like me, and they don't look like women uh, of color either, right? So and when I talk about in- in- inclusive experiences for all women, I don't mean just women who look like me too, because we have to be cognizant of that as well, that uh, we have to be uh, creating opportunities for all women. So in any case, so this is kind of the patterns that I saw as an uh, individual contributor and then as I went into leadership positions too. Well, thanks for that. Um, I know when I was up and coming uh, or becoming a supervisor, a lot of times I'd be working with peers or working with I'll call work friends or even friend friends um, over a period of time and then uh, down the road, uh, the dynamic had changed and I actually became their supervisor. Um, I'm aware of a, a challenge that you faced uh, in your career here. I wonder, I think it's really important that maybe if you kind of share your story mm-hmm. when it comes to uh, working with a peer and then supervising that person and I guess some of the things, because I'm sure some of your listeners are faced with similar challenges. Yes, when I was uh, one of several years ago, I was uh, an individual contributor work. I was a subordinate to somebody. I didn't report directly to this individual, but would work with them on various projects as an individual contributor. They were a formal manager. Then you fast forward maybe five years later, I ended up becoming this person's supervisor. And it was awkward because while I was with this individual, although they were very kind and compassionate and you could see that they were a big fan of mine and advocated for me, uh, this individual, you know, would make some comments about just like how he saw me as 
like he was a, in a position to be a mentor of mine. Like he almost self-designated himself as my mentor. You know, I never gave him that title. I enjoyed working with him, but I never saw him as a mentor, to be honest with you. Uh, but he saw himself as my mentor. So when I became his boss, the dynamic changed drastically. And I was ready for the challenge, but I didn't really, I did not predict how hard it was going to be. Uh I started to see a pattern of behavior in this individual that I needed to hold accountable that I saw no one had held accountable before in the past. Um, you know, they're, they weren't very consistent in terms of their, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, their presence in the office, you know, absenteeism, um, not a lot of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, consistency, right? Mm-hmm. And, and coming to work regularly, also, when they were at the office, the quality and the quantity of work that was done was not where it needed to be. And the skill set was lacking, too, for some of the things that we were doing. Like, one of the reasons why I became this person's supervisor is because there was a reorg. And this individual was put into, well, still within the scope of their duties. But what I quickly realized, they had been given the title of a manager for a specific position, but didn't have the skill set to do the work. Um, and so I was put into a position to like challenge behavior, which didn't go over very well at all. And I needed some support to, uh, like I went to my direct supervisor who I did see as a mentor and asked for support to support to navigate through that situation. And ultimately the way that it ended was this individual ended up moving on. I think they, they recognized that it was, um, that there was opportunity elsewhere for them. And so they they took advantage of another opportunity and moved on, which was, I think, best for everybody. You know, you don't want to be working in a position where you feel like you can't do the job. And and it's not fun as a supervisor to have to point that out. And somebody once said, your job as a supervisor is to help people succeed through the environment that you create. And sometimes that's giving them new knowledge and new tools and permission. But if you and professional development. And if you do that and they're still not able to succeed, whether it's motivation or ability, capacity, competency, sometimes your role as a manager becomes to help them move on to something else. And ultimately, that's what I had to do with this individual. And it wasn't easy because there was a power differential. Even when I was his supervisor, he still thought that he was, I was still subordinate to him. And I don't know if it would have been the same dynamic if I was a guy. I don't know. I'm sure you've experienced that where you, you became somebody's supervisor when you, they were a peer or maybe even you reported to them. And it's not easy regardless of what gender you are. But, you know, this, this was definitely a challenging moment and I learned a lot from it. Yeah, th- those dynamics are always, uh, yeah, unfortunate at times uh, where it almost seems like people are putting their friendship ahead of actually the, the work and uh, ahead of, I guess, the responsibility to the organization you're working at. Uh, I want to circle back to your Woman Up program. And I know you mentioned that there's other programs that are out there. Um, Obviously, what's different about your program that these other programs or maybe uh, if if certain companies are deciding to, you know, I'm going to pick something from over here and column A, column B, column C, what does yours offer that is different 
Right. Well, I think a little bit is uh, the target audience. So, uh, and and the design of the program as well. So, focusing first on the target audience, I did a little bit more research to understand, you know, what's going on with women in in the business world in the corporate world since the pandemic. Because the from the research that I've done thus far is that the pandemic has disproportionately affected women in a negative way compared to to men. And I think a lot of that is because of we we tend to take on more of the domestic duties than men do. And when the pandemic happened and we were all working from home, our kids were also learning from home too. And if we had, if we were the primary caregiver of our elderly parents as well, that responsibility fell on our shoulders too, even more so through the pandemic. It, it just became a lot for women to handle. And so I wanted to know now that things are, we're slowly... I'd like to say we're slowly transitioning out of the pandemic, although there's still a lot of uncertainty. I wanted to reassess where we're at today. And so the McKinsey report, they uh, they do such great research and they do focus on, under, they do a lot of research when it comes to women and the gender gap. And so they recently came out with um, another report. And what they said was, it was actually interesting. They said over the last year and a half, that women have made some really big gains in representation in senior leadership positions. So I thought that was quite... C-suite. Yeah, yeah. So, well, they say senior leadership. So that could be senior manager and and, and executive, right? Which I thought was surprising because I, I also read a stat that half a million women have left the workforce because of the pandemic. So I was like, okay, there's some conflicting evidence there and interesting. So I thought, okay, maybe the women that have stayed in the workforce are able to gain access into those senior leadership positions. But for the early entry level supervisor positions, maybe there's still some challenges there. And that's what they actually recognized is that promotions at the first step up to manager are not equitable. They also said that women of color lose ground in representation at every level. And this has been the trend since 2016. Women are promoted to those early frontline manager, supervisor positions at a, at a far lower rate than men, which makes it really challenging for companies to lay the foundation for sustained and equitable progress at more senior levels, right? So I thought for my program, I do want to target and support women who may not even be in a formal leadership position, but thinking about it, may lack some of the confidence or the skill set and, and want some access to professional development so they can gain the knowledge the confidence and the, and the competencies, right? So I'm targeting them, but I'm also targeting women who may be in the first five years of a leadership position as well. Because I said, a lot of us don't get any access to professional development. And if we do, it's a one size fits all. And it doesn't take into consideration the specific challenges that women face. So I saw a need there in terms of the content and the design. One of the things I also realized and through my own research is, as I mentioned earlier, we don't have access to the same network, right? Or the same... You know, I read a great Forbes article. It's called, you know, create a success circle. A success, a success circle is made up of different individuals that um, have represent different people in your life, right? Somebody could be a co-striver who's maybe also striving to become a manager or a leader and that you can work with uh, and support one another. Somebody else could be a mentor or a sponsor, right? So we need to create a success circle, but w- we have a harder time and research has shown this as women to do that. So I want to design a program that would give a- women access to other women. 
and not just through that one experience through that one that that you sign up for the course you got access to women in the course and then you never see them again but to actually create a community where you know i may be entering i may be registered to take this woman up program three years after it's 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 um it started right after it's been implemented I gain access into a community of women who have been in this program for the last three years and have become that network and that success circle for other women. So the social element and the networking element is something that needed to be part of it, which I have successfully integrated. I'm excited. Like the online learning management system that I use has that element built in a community. You don't have to go to Facebook. You don't have to go through LinkedIn. Not not everybody is social media savvy or embraces social media so or like me yes. you don't right don't so, use social media. right so no need to go to facebook you don't have you know if you don't want to go onto facebook if you want to start a new facebook account like it's all done through this online platform right the other thing that i did in terms of the design is it, it creates some flexibility so there's some online self-paced courses that you can take and you got two weeks to do it and it's, so it's plenty of time because it takes three hours to do one course in one sitting but I've given them two weeks to do it. So they cannot, they can take their time, go through it and process the things that they're learning so that they don't feel like they're obliged every week to show up to a class at the same time. You know, they have a couple of weeks where they can, you know, engage in their own learning at their own pace. I've also then put in some, some actual live virtual workshops. So you can access that workshop anywhere you're at. You don't have to get into a car and drive and come see me uh, or, you know, you can be in a different province or city and still access the live virtual workshop. All you need is a webcam and a mic. Um, and plus COVID, right? I mean, still, there's a lot yeah. of uncertainty around that. And so I thought the virtual workshops would be good. So there's, we have a couple of those workshops too, which allow us to then build upon the concepts that they learn through the self-paced online courses. And there's also what I call peer coaching circles. So for me, coaching, uh, not for me, but in general, what coaching helps us do is think about our workplace context, the things that we're learning, and how it relates to our day-to-day -day work environment. We don't always get to do that if we're in a workshop or taking an online course, but through the peer coaching circles, we can do that. And so what I also wanted to do was to equip the women in the program uh, com with communication skills, how to communicate using, I'll say a coach approach, open-ended questions that are very powerful, seeking to understand. You know, if we're going to create and build inclusive workspaces and work environments, seeking to understand somebody else's perspective, point of view, experiences of inequity are important. And the best way to do that is to ask open-ended questions. I want to equip the women in the program with the ability to do that. So, so through the peer coaching circles, we'll be practicing those skills because we get to coach ourselves in some way. I'm not teaching them to become, you know, a professional executive coach by any means, but I'm, I'm trying to teach them some of the techniques in coaching around. Mm -hmm. Every woman will have an opportunity to share a wor work life experience and, right. and, um, how she's applying some of the concepts from the, the course to that work-life experience. And the other women, they'll be divided into small groups. The other women are there to listen and to ask some powerful open-ended questions to, to help this person. And I love this. Uh, uh, the co-founder of Canada Coach Academy, uh, Natalie Blaise, said this. She goes, um, like, coaching is like support somebody walk up the ladder of consciousness and self-awareness. And so I think 
you know, like the course is built on the concept of emotional intelligence. So it starts with knowing thyself, understanding what your blind spots are, understanding what your triggers are and how to regulate them, but also understanding how your behaviors impact others and how to actually demonstrate empathy and vulnerability. And so through the peer, especially through the peer coaching circles, I can't ask, I can't, I don't want to just talk about what vulnerability is. I want to give them an opportunity to practice it. And, and, share something that makes them feel vulnerable where the other women then practice listening even if they feel uncomfortable through the experience because being empathy having empathy doesn't mean only when it's easy to do so sometimes it's hard to do so and my experience as a leader at times where I've had a woman sharing a moment of inequity that she experienced I realized when I look back at my behavior I made it about me because I think on some level I was uncomfortable with her vulnerability and Oh, I wish I could go back and do a re- retake. That was not, a leader shouldn't be stepping in and making it about her because she's feeling uncomfortable because you're sharing an experience that, you know. So I want, I want to talk about these concepts and experiences really openly with women so that when they become formal leaders or if they are, they're currently, they can start putting these skills to the test. And then they come back to the community, which is the program with other women, and they can talk about what worked and what didn't. Because that's another thing we have to practice uh, being a leader is making mistake. Well, not making mistakes. We, we don't intentionally want to make a mistake. But practice admitting to them and holding ourselves accountable, which is very powerful for a follower to see you holding yourself accountable. So I'm trying to create that experience through this course. And one of the things that I got frustrated as an instructional designer was seeing the way that other programs, especially leadership programs, were designed. It was a very much sit and get experience where it was very teacher centric like you sit and you listen to somebody talk at you for hours on end about what leadership is but you have to figure out how you're going to apply it and we don't transfer the things that we learn in a artificial learning environment to the world real world we don't transfer that or transform that knowledge readily and easily like we actually need time to think about it talk about it practice it and then come back and talk about what worked and what didn't and so i've built those moments throughout the entire eight-week program. Now, um, um, it's interesting. Uh, I know you're talking there. I think we've been together so long that I think you, I psychically sometimes get you to fill in the blanks here. And, and you, you spoke about EI, which is what my next question was going to be about, how your program tied to EI. But you have a learning and development background. Mm-hmm. And uh, specifically to this program, and again, I think you started talking about it, is I guess... I think this is this program is very much tied to your PhD and your research. Yeah. And what did your PhD and your research tell you about how people learn in the workplace? Well, that you know, to, I could distill down to like two main concepts. Uh, we learn primarily through two ways. One is through self-reflection, because it helps us develop more self-awareness of what our strengths are and areas of growth, what our blind spots are. We may have a blind spot that actually is a barrier, an obstacle to us being able to learn more. And so, for example, we may have a preconceived notion or belief about certain people in our workplace that prevents us from truly being able to build relationships with them and trust with them. And if we are unaware of that unconscious bias, 
we really create obstacles not only for us, but for other people in the workplace. And so that self-awareness that we can gain through moments of self-reflection or even seeking feedback from others can really help us in identifying the barrier, the obstacle, and doing what we need to do to mitigate it. So we can push through that and create a truly inclusive working environment. And the reason why I'm, I'm talking a lot about inclusive working spaces and others is because the second way we learn is with and through others. So one critical way to develop our self-awareness is to get feedback from other people. But if you have a, you know, if you're not able to build trusting relationships with other people, because for whatever reason, your blind spots and unconscious bias are preventing you from really interacting on a true deep deeper emotional having a deep emotional connection with people meaningful meaningful yeah uh how will people ever want to give you true feedback and as a supervisor one of the most important things that was ever shared with me was when a, a subordinate of mine like somebody reported to me would share with me i really wish you had done a better job to support us one of my she was a supervisor and i was the manager and she came to me and she goes you know i my employee i i saw my, my she was gone for a period of time and um I think she was on vacation and I, I kind of stepped, like obviously I was managing her, her team while she was away and when she came back she found out that we were tasked to do something like with a ridiculous timeline and um, she had a, like a, a debrief with her team and she came back to share some of the feedback with me and she felt like I could have done a better job to support them through that hectic moment or experience and I'm like, it took a lot of guts for her to share that with me mm. but I learned, I learned a lot through that experience and I actually recognized and rewarded her for giving me feedback so I, there was a blind spot I didn't know about, it, and she made it. She she acknowledged that to me. Now, if I had created this environment where I had this belief system that managers were infallible, you know, and you just do as I say, do you think she would have ever told me about that? And what kind of a workplace environment would I be creating? So, learning with and through others is absolutely important. It doesn't matter who they are, what position they're in. You can learn from everybody, um, and so th that's what I learned through my PhD research. And I also learned that that's the foundation of developing emotional intelligence. If you could do that, it'll go a long way in increasing your emotional intelligence. And there's so much research that's been done that shows that the more emotionally intelligent you are, it actually leads to very positive business outcomes, mm -hmm. like uh, better quality insurance, lower uh, absenteeism, um, less interpersonal conflict uh, or grievances in the workplace, which means that the you're equipping your people with the confidence and the skills that they need to achieve the goals, uh, the organizational outcomes for that company, whether that's developing or designing new services or products, increasing customer service and things like that. So there's a direct correlation, a positive correlation to how emotionally intelligent your leaders are and how successful you are as a company in reaching your business outcomes. And not only pers professionally, personally too. Mm -hmm. Personally too. You can use these skills when you're with your kids, your spouse, your partner, your friends, your family, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the more emotionally intelligent you are, the, the, the happier, more fulfilled you are uh, as a human being. Uh, a lot of, of what you were just speaking of is, is that self-awareness piece. And obviously in a work environment, we don't work by ourselves and it's good to be aware of yourself. H how does that social awareness um, uh, you know, that one's kind of murky for me. Th that's a really good question. Because social awareness and relationship management are, are closely linked together. So for me, social awareness is about understanding your organization's culture, its vision, its mission, its purpose. 
but it's also about empathy and compassion. So, okay, you know, the first two domains are uh, self-awareness and um, self-management. Like, so, so self-awareness, your strengths, areas of growth, and self-management, what your triggers are in managing those. And then the last two um, domains are uh, that I discovered through my research that align with other people's research too on EI, but is social awareness and relationship management. So the first two domains speak to how aware you are of your emotions and how you're able to manage those. And the last two domains speak to how aware you are of other people's emotions and feelings and how you influence those with your behaviors, what you do, what you don't do. So when it comes to social awareness, it's like self, self-awareness, self but in a social context. How aware are you of how you are perceived and how you influence other people's emotions based on your actions? So it's good to first start with thyself, but then you have to go beyond the walls of just you and understand how you impact other people. So when we talk about the concepts of diversity, equity, inclusion, I think like, that's, it's under that domain of social awareness. And so if we have an unconscious bias, we have to be aware of what that is because we could be negatively impacting the people that we have this unconscious bias against. Which means that whenever, and that's what I want to talk about in the program too, and I'm not an expert in diversity, equity, inclusion. Like I haven't devoted my career to understanding diversity, equity, inclusion. But what I have realized is as an instructional designer and learning and development expert, I've always strived to create inclusive learning environments. And I realized that the way or the, the processes that I used to create an inclusive learning environment can be applied in a workplace too. Because what you do is you try to understand who, who's coming into your learning environment. Who are they? What are their, what's their background? What are their past experiences? What are their challenges that they've experienced? What are some of the barriers that they'll have to implement the things that they're learning? We need to be doing the same thing as a leader in a workplace, which means we have to get to know who our people are that work next to us, with us, side by side, or you know, vertically and horizontally, which means you have to seek to understand. And that goes back to Covey's principles of um, you know, the seven habits of highly effective people. Seek mm-hmm. to understand. I love that. Absolutely. Just that's what w- one of the first things that I do as a manager, right? Join a new team, one-on-ones with everybody. And not just the people that directly report to me, but the other people that, you know, that directly report maybe through one of my supervisors. Mm-hmm. Who are you? What has life been like for you here? What do you like? What are the challenges? Where do you want to go in your career? What are some of the obstacles that you need support r- removing? And they may not want to tell you everything right away at the start, but you opened up that pathway for them to start sharing things with you. And then that's when they'll start to share real things with you, like things that are not easy for them to share. And so what I want to do is equip the women in the program to talk about what does it really mean to show empathy and then compassion? And then how the more self-aware you are of what your blind spots are, the better able you're to determine when you start to get that weird, uncomfortable feeling inside, when somebody starts talking to you about something that triggers you, then you're more aware of, okay, I'm being triggered. I feel my heart rate speeding up. I feel my palms are getting sweaty. I feel like I'm having a hard time concentrating on what this person's saying because I almost want to interrupt them and jump in and make it about me. Those are triggers. What do you do and how do you manage those thoughts so that you still show up as your, I was going to say, as your, as your best leader so mm-hmm. that you can really listen because it's not about you. It's about them. And if you really listen, you'll be able to support them in the way they need to be supported. Not the way you need to be supported, the way you think they need to be supported, the way they need to be supported. That's another thing too you have to realize is that people have limitless potential. I believe that. Maybe some people will be like, no, there's some, obviously I'm not going to, you know, I'm not over six feet tall. I'm not going to be the next basketball 
phenom, you know, obviously not. There's obviously some limits to my potential. But in terms of what I want to achieve in my life, like I don't want to be a basketball player. I want to be a leadership consultant. In terms of that, I think I have limitless potential. I'm striving always to learn and to do better. And so I have to look at my employees in the same way. You know, they have limitless potential and what the capacity of what they've been hired to do. And so I just, they have the answers within them. I just need to ask the right questions to help them find that out. And sometimes I may have to move an obstacle for them, but that's your job is to do that. You know, if they can do that with some coaching and support from you, great. And if other, other times you, you do need to step in advocate for your team, advocate for your team. So a big portion of this program too is to talk about self-advocacy and advocacy for others. Because mm-hmm. if women of color are still experiencing so many more barriers and obstacles to gaining entry into leadership positions, more than white women, more than men of color, then how can we advocate for all women? All women. What can we do? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what are some of the challenges when we try to advocate for others? But I was and still am a little bit scared about launching this program because I still feel like people will look at me and be like, who is she to do this? And it's a little bit of that imposter syndrome it's that in- we all experience. It's interesting. And I know we want to wrap up, but I actually really would like to hear your thoughts on um, the imposter syndrome, uh, the confidence gap. Uh, this is this is a narrative that's going around, and what are your thoughts? What's your take on yeah, that? Yeah, maybe this is a good question to to wrap up on. Yeah, I was, and I'll, I'll I'll talk about what my thoughts are on that through a story. So I'm in the car with my team, all women. We're all women team, and I'm driving back to the office from an event. One of the women in the back, because I always advocated for my team and encouraged them to apply for other positions, especially if you know it was an opportunity for growth for them. You know, growth isn't always moving up. Sometimes it's moving laterally. Whatever they saw as an opportunity of growth, if they need me to mentor them and advocate for them and be a reference for them, I would do that. I I was never foolish to think that somebody would stay in the same position forever, right? So I always encourage people to look beyond their current position. I always say the best way to develop somebody or to engage somebody is to develop them for their future position, their next position is the best way to engage them in their current position. Cause they know that oh, my boss believes in me and supports me. Any case. So one of my employees was talking about how she didn't want to apply for a job cause she lacked confidence and that, you know what it is what it is because it's a, it's a, it's, it's built in, in her DNA as a woman to lack confidence. I literally almost like just slammed on the brakes. I was I was like, what? and I remember saying, what? No, 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 no. We, we need, like, I guess I wasn't doing a lot of listening and empathy at that point. Cause I was like, I need to correct this thinking pattern. And I said, that's not true. We're not genetically predisposed to have no confidence. There's research that shows that women have a lot of confidence just as much as men do. But what we don't have access to is the equitable systems and processes that men have access to. You know, if I got to go to the golf tournament, and have my executive leader tell me, hey, do you know that there's an opportunity coming up? I think you would be great for it. And pumping up my tires, you know, as he's, you know, as I'm in my golf, you know, golfing with him, you know, like, I mean, I would walk away with even more confidence. But if I found out that all the guys got to go to the golf tournament and I didn't get to go, what would that do to my confidence? Now, is that a genetic thing? Or was that the workplace environment I was in? that was impacting my confidence. And so, yes, I have 
confidence issues like I just talked about for sure. But I have a great support system that I can tap into to help me and support me and believe that I can do it. And I'm in a position to do this and I should do this work, right? So I guess what I'm saying is we can't, you know, the confidence gap theory and imposter syndrome at times, you know, we have to be careful with that because I think it places an overwhelming burden, an inequitable burden on women's shoulders without considering the system we live and function within, really. And and I'm still shocked to think that women don't have, con- like, I mean, some of the things that my female friends have been doing in terms of like all the domestic work at home, the child rearing activities, working a crazy amount of hours, like at the office doing incredible things and you're still lacking confidence to go for that promotion. Wow. What, what, what does that say about us as a society and as an organization? And like, I think these are some of the things I just want to unpack, you know, and talk about how we overcome that and then how do we advocate for ourselves? To, to wrap up, I guess this course is coming up pretty fast here. Uh, how do we learn about this course? So how well I have a I'm going to put the the link to the website like to the actual course in the show notes so you can go there and you can um, peruse through the the course page to understand a little bit more you can actually see what the learning outcomes are there's a there's a program brochure you can download but I'm also going to be doing a webinar on November 10th it's a complimentary webinar with a little bit of professional development but also I, I'm going to actually go through all the elements of the program so you get to see what the true time commitment is and where I'm building in flexibility so that women, it's not just another burden, right, on top of everything they have to do, but it'll enhance their lives and confidence and it won't detract from it, right? Um, so I want to talk about the way that's designed to do to, for that, to create that flexibility. But if you have questions too, that's your opportunity to ask them. But I'd also say, if you can't attend the webinar, you want, to, there's some questions you need answered before you sign up just schedule one-on-one with me like you can send me an email even on the web page like contact us there's like a you can schedule a zoom call with me and we can just talk like it's an investment in terms of your time and your money so if you want to meet with me to talk to me about it one-on-one or you just feel more comfortable doing it one-on-one just do so like reach out to me so i'll put all of that in the show notes so everybody can easily access that fantastic i know for me i've got uh, 32 plus years of policing experience. I've worked with a lot of leadership development uh, people and a lot of different courses, being uh, myself in charge of their training section at one point. I've never met anyone that's more passionate, more knowledgeable, and uh, I think this program is going to be fantastic. I challenge uh, anyone that's in a position to promote or support a woman to take this course to please do so. Um, as you've mentioned too, it does have some uniqueness and that building the community is invaluable uh, to be able to go to in a safe space, uh, talk about the challenges you're facing and come up with tangible, workable solutions. So thanks for letting me put you on the other side of the microphone. Well, thank you so much for doing this. But yeah, thank you for listening, everyone. And I just wanted to thank you for taking the time and always supporting the podcast as well and allowing me kind of you know sharing my story a little bit and what I love to do and my passion so thank you for that and and I look forward to tackling 
the next issue with you.